I would like to read a very well-known passage of Scripture, probably one of the best-known passages of Scripture in the whole of the New Testament, in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, but his, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they, that they have been done in God. Amen. The Lord bless his word to our hearts. I want to speak this morning for a little while about this story of Nicodemus and his visit to Jesus by night. This chapter is one of the most quoted in the whole of the Bible. It contains the gospel in a nutshell spelled out by Jesus himself. But before we get to that, I want to look a little at the character of Nicodemus himself. Now, Nicodemus is not mentioned in any of the other gospels, but he is mentioned here 
in John's Gospel in this place, and he's also mentioned in the fact later on in the Gospel that he came to help Joseph of Arimathea to bury the body of Jesus. We are told three things about Nicodemus. One is that he was a ruler of the Jews. Secondly, that he was a Pharisee. And thirdly, that he came to Jesus by night. Now, there have been lots of speculation as to why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Some commentators suggest that the reason he came at night was because a, he, were, he was afraid that some of his other Pharisee friends might see him. Now, that might have been a factor we don't know, and we never will know, at least until we get to heaven, because the Bible doesn't tell us. But I rather think it's probably more practical than that, in that he simply came to see Jesus at night because he wanted to be able to have a private conversation with Jesus. In those days, Jesus followed the pattern of most people who lived in the, that area. He lived in Israel, and that the day would begin at dawn, about six o'clock in the morning. It would finish at dark, six o'clock in the evening. Now, most people would have breakfast of some kind, and then they, but they wouldn't eat a great deal during the day. And then they would have their main meal, their main evening meal would be just after dark in the evening. And that is a pattern that is uh, continued in many parts of the world still today. So if you wanted to have a private conversation with Jesus, it would have been very difficult during the day because he was constantly surrounded by loads and loads of people who were all wanting to see him, wanting to talk to him, wanting to touch him. But after the evening meal, when they had sort of settled for the night and before they went to bed, was a good opportunity to try and have a private conversation with him so that th th that would be an opportunity to do that. We'll never really know, but I suspect that that certainly was one of the reasons that he came at night. The second thing that we are told about Nicodemus is that he was a ruler of the Jews. That meant that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, Israel was part of the Roman Empire at that time, and of course the Roman Empire covered most of the then known world, and, but the, 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 and was although it was ruled from Rome, it, the Roman Empire, or the emperor, they were quite happy to sort of allow local uh, people to handle local affairs, and that was the situation in Israel. The Jewish Sanhedrin, which was a, 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 a group made up of the leading families and priests in, in, Jew, in the country, they were tasked and given the freedom to look at the, the religious and local things and make laws concerning that. They didn't have the power to commit or to sentence people to death. That was why when they brought Jesus and condemned him, they had to go to Pilate to ask permission, ask Pilate to sentence him to be crucified because they didn't have that power. So Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin, and there were, I think it was 72, 70 or 72 members of the Sanhedrin. So he was a man 
who was highly respected. He was an upright man. He was a good man. And he was also a man who was seeking after truth. And that's the third thing we're told about Nicodemus, is that he was a Pharisee. Now, as you read the New Testament, you'll find that the, the Pharisees had a bit of a bad press. You know, they, they often clashed with Jesus, usually over some technical matter concerning the law. But the Pharisees uh, were actually a, a, a kind of a revival movement among the Jews that started way back in the time of Ezra. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you will remember that when God gave the law to Moses, he gave certain promises with it. He said, if you keep my laws, and if you follow my ways and worship me and no other gods, then I will protect you in the land that I am giving to you. But on the other hand, if you turn away from me and begin to worship and serve other gods, then I will allow your enemies to come in and to overthrow you and to drive you out of the land that I have given you. And of course, that is exactly what happened in the time of Jeremiah because the people repeatedly drifted away from God and rebelled against God and eventually God allowed the Babylonians to come in to take over the land and to take into exile the majority of the people and they only left a few behind. But God, as God is wont to do, is a God full of mercy. And even though he said, if you forsake me, I will allow your enemies to drive you out of the land. He said, nevertheless, I will not forsake you totally. Because after a period of time, after 70 years, in fact, I will bring you back to the land that you have left. And that's what happened in the time of Ezra the prophet. The remnant came back to live in Israel again. And it was at that time that the Pharisees were formed. They were a group of devout Jews who were so determined not to allow the people of God to drift away from God again or to start serving other gods. They were determined that they would keep the nation true to the Lord. Now, like many other organizations before and since, this started off well, but they tended to drift away. They started off by being zealous for God, but then it wasn't too long until they began to think that they were the only people who could interpret the law. They were the only people who knew what was right and what was wrong. And to add to that, over the years, they began to sort of, uh, not so much add to the laws, they, they began to make it more detailed. You see, God gave simply Ten basic commandments told the people what to do. He didn't go into great detail, but in, in, in their efforts to please God, the Pharisees started adding detail. And that was really why they clashed with Jesus, because they started adding bits and pieces of detail to the law that God had never put there. And that was especially true in concerning the laws regarding the Sabbath. God has said you should keep one day of the week to be holy so everybody, man and animal, can have a rest. But then the Pharisees started breaking that down and they said, well, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, 
Uh, you can only walk a certain distance in the Sabbath, about two miles, I think it was. It was called a Sabbath day's journey. You weren't allowed to do any work. You weren't allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed even to do good, like heal people, anything that was considered. One day, the disciples were walking through some cornfields and they picked some ears of corn because they were hungry and chewed them. And that, according to the Pharisees, was breaking the law because they were working. And that's why Jesus often clashed with them. And he said to them, you got it all wrong. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for your benefit and for your good so that everybody could have a rest. And all this adding of detail and making more and more restrictions was not really what God intended. But anyhow, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And that's why generally in the New Testament they have a bad press because a lot of the Pharisees were so, they were so arrogant in their own interpretation of things that they couldn't see or leave room for anybody else or anybody who disagreed with them. But from this story, we see that here was a man who was a Pharisee, but he wasn't like lots of the other Pharisees. He was a man who was seeking after God. He was a man who wanted the truth. He was a man who was hungry for truth. And he was prepared even to incur the displeasure of other Pharisees in order to find the truth. And that is, I think, a very, very commendable situation and a commendable thing to do. So here was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews and a Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night to try and get some answers to his questions. So what can we learn from this story? Well, the first answer is this. We shouldn't be too quick to judge people on the basis of their supposed reputation. Who would have thought that a prominent Pharisee would have a heart that was searching for God and that he was willing to risk his own reputation in order to find the truth? Now, some of the Pharisees, most of the Pharisees probably were not like that, but this man was. And you know, we can apply that in our own situation. It's easy for us to judge people on what we see on the outside or what we believe about them on the outside. But God doesn't look at the outside. God says, I look at the heart. And we never know what's going on in somebody's heart. I believe that when we get to heaven, there will be people there that we never expected to find there. Because when we knew them here on earth, we didn't think they were Christians, or we didn't think they would ever become Christians. And maybe they were not very keen Christians, but if a person believes in his or her heart that Christ died for their sins and the need to be forgiven, then that's enough to be born again, to be saved. And I've heard stories recently, I have no way of, uh, of verifying the truth or not, but of prominent uh, Muslim leaders who have 
believed in Jesus because of dreams and visions that God gave them. Now, we won't know until we get to heaven whether that's true, but it wouldn't surprise me because all over the world and in many different religious situations, there are individuals who, in whose heart they're searching for God. They're looking for God. And some of them may be involved outwardly in, relig in religions or situations that are far from Christian, but if in their heart they're searching after God, then I believe that God will find a way for them to find the truth. I was at Bible college with a brother uh, from Ethiopia. In fact, he came here to Monaghan once with me. And his testimony was that he was, he, 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 he'd never heard the gospel. He was living in Ethiopia. And one night he couldn't sleep and he opened his window and looked out and it was a beautiful full moon. And he said, there must be somebody, something, somewhere to make all this. And he said, Lord, if, you are, if there is a God and if there is a God somewhere, I want to know you. And God led him to meet with other Christians and eventually he became a Christian. Now that was just one story, but we don't know what's going on in somebody's heart. And we should be slow to make judgments because we will never know, not in this world, at least who really knows the Lord unless they're very clear and they make a commitment to Christ, then of course we're happy to say yes, they're born again. But that was Nicodemus, a good man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, somebody seeking after God. And yet uh, to most people and his fellow Pharisees who opposed Jesus, he was a man who was the opposite. The next, for a few minutes, I just want to look at what Jesus said to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus first approached Jesus, he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God because no one can do the miracles that you are doing unless God is with him. And Jesus responded by saying, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And in the next few minutes, Jesus then goes on to explain what he means by being born again and how it can happen. Now, I, I, I don't, I'm not surprised that poor Nicodemus was a bit gobsmacked when Jesus said to him. Here he was coming, wanting to have a discussion with Jesus and talk to him privately, ask all the questions that were going on in his mind. And instead of Jesus opening up and answering his questions, he said, the first thing he says is, you must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, no, no wonder he looked and said, born again? How can a man be born again? Can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? It was totally, totally sort of gobsmacked. And what on earth are you talking about, Jesus? But then I'm glad that Jesus went on to explain what he meant by being born again. And there are three things Jesus said, basically three things about being born again. First of all, the new birth is essential and a spiritual thing. If we want to get to heaven, we must be born again. 
That is, we must be born from above by God's Holy Spirit. Just as natural birth is the beginning of physical life here on earth, spiritual birth is the beginning of our new spiritual life. While we're here on earth, but it will continue for eternity. No amount of learning or good deeds can replace the need to be born from above. Nicodemus was a good, highly respected man. And yet Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're still lacking something. You need to be born from above. It's hard for us, I think at least, to understand the concept of being spiritually dead while physically alive. And one of the ways I find for myself easy to, easier to understand is to compare it to a light bulb, these light bulbs here. You see, a light bulb is simply a bit of glass and metal and other bits and pieces, and it, it's, it's nothing. That's all it is. But if it is connected up to the electricity supplies, it suddenly gives light because it was created to do that. And if you switch off the light, the bulb goes out. And that is similar to what happens when we're born again. God has made us and created us human beings, ordinary flesh and blood, but flesh and blood with a spiritual dimension to our lives. So that all of us instinctively we know that there's something more than just this. And we are made like that. But when we're born again, Jesus said we need to be born from above. We are like plugged into God. We are, we are touching the living God. God comes to live in us. His spirit flows through us and suddenly we become that, like that light bulb that is lit up and different and changed. And how does that happen? Well, Jesus said, simply by believing that Jesus died for our sins and that we need his forgiveness. Simply by believing that. Now, there are lots of different kinds of believing. There's a sort of mental assent believing and there's a believing that changes and promotes action on our behalf. If, for example, there, there was a fire alarm, I'm assuming there is a fire alarm in this building, if the fire alarm goes off, <coughs> we've got a choice. Now, if we believe that really is the fire alarm and there's a fire in the building, well, the sensible thing is to get up and get out. But if we don't believe it, we'll say, oh, I'm comfortable here. It may be just a false alarm. You see, if we really believe, it leads to action. And if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, not just all the sins of the world, he did that as course, but for my sins, I need to say, Lord, please forgive me and take away my sins and be my savior. I did that in a little hole at Urker. Oh, how long? 70 years ago. 70 years ago. Very simple. And the thing that I love about the one of the things I love about the gospel is it is so simple. You see, nobody can stop me from believing and nobody can make me believe. You could be locked up in a prison cell 
And nobody can stop you from believing in Jesus and being a Christian. Lots of people can alter it because it happens in your heart. And in the same way, nobody can make us believe. No godly parent or grandparent, nobody can make us believe. It's a choice that we make individually. And that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. This man who was searching after God. Nicodemus, you're a good man. You're a respected man. You know lots of things, but you need to be born from above. How, Jesus, do I do that? Simply by believing in me, believing that I died for your sins, believing that you're a sinner, and asking for my forgiveness. I'm glad that Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, all those years ago, because here we have the gospel in a nutshell. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and that includes me, whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but have everlasting life. That is the gospel that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and throughout the centuries that have passed millions of people have passed from death unto life simply by believing that Jesus died for them and they needed to be saved. And if the Lord doesn't come again soon, millions more will still come. And it's the same if there's anybody here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never been born from above, you may have all the other good attributes of being a Christian, all those good things and good characteristics, but just ask the Lord to forgive your sins to come into your heart, to ask the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. And although uh, at the beginning it might seem nothing happens, you'll soon notice, because although the new birth is invisible, there should always, there will be signs that it's happened. Jesus used the illustration of the wind. He said, you cannot see the wind but you can see the effect of the wind. In the same way, we cannot see the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we can see the effect of him living there. We'll begin to change our attitudes, change our actions, and it will be noticeable that something has happened. Amen. The Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning. Father, I simply pray that you will take these words that I have shared the things that were just mine, let them be forgotten and buried. But the things that your Holy Spirit would take and speak to each of our individual hearts, we pray that they will become like a seed that is buried in the ground and begins to grow, produce fruit to eternal life. Bless all the saints who gather here week after week. And today, in the past, we thank you for so many who are now with the Lord. 
and all who will pass through this church continue to make it a blessing through for many years to come in Jesus name amen <laughs>